0: In this episode of The Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Jennifer Demata about how to aggressively grow your e-commerce business. This is The Business of E-Commerce, episode 47. Welcome to The Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pileski, and I'm here today with Jennifer Demata. Jennifer is the founder of Demata Consulting, where she has helped many e-commerce brands scale to triple digit profit growth. I asked her on the show today to talk about how listeners can profitably and aggressively scale their e-commerce businesses. So, hey Jennifer, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, how are you?
0: Doing good. Good. I, very uh, interesting topic you focus on, so I want to chat with you a bit about it on kind of aggressive growth and kind of, I guess first, what do you, so you, go, you run a consulting business, and how did you get into that?
1: Well, I've spent the last 20 years heading up e-commerce, digital marketing, and omnichannel uh, for several retailers, Sports Authority, Blue Mercury, Office Depot, Hayneedle, and, you know, I have learned along the way um, the best methods to uh, grow ab- aggressively in e-commerce. And it's, it's a growing market. I mean, we all know that it's uh, the growing piece of any given industry. Um, but it does take quite a discipline to be able to grow at triple digit growth and still sustain profitability. And um, I was doing this for businesses between two and three years, I would start coming in. They had very small business, very small team. I would build up the team, build up uh, the plan, build up the strategy, uh, get that all to the point where they were at a point where they had a really strong foundation Uh, really focused on now the optimization after two or three years and head off to another company to start building their e-commerce business. Um, Through that experience, I honed those methods and decided I'll take this on the road, basically. Opened up my firm a year ago. Um, I'm almost at a year. November 1st will be a year. And now can help multiple clients at the exact same time with the best methods and best principles to grow their e-commerce businesses. And kind of where we're at at this point is uh, the retailers have been pressured, mostly realistically by Amazon, to develop their e-commerce business in the mid-2000s and through today. And they're still building, but they've got uh, quite a foundation developed Now what I'm actually involved with is other industries, whether it's manufacturers, there's a big conversation out there today with direct to consumer, how manufacturers can go directly to the consumer rather than wholesale to the retailers. And then other industries such as financial and services um, that are still a little bit behind and looking to figure out what it takes and what the value is to develop their digital experience.
0: Yeah, I like the idea when you talk when you you specify profitable growth, right? Because anyone can grow. Yes. that's actually pretty easy. Um growing yes. profitably is really the key, right? Where when that's you, right. When you scale, you can, you know, for every dollar returned, you can actually reinvest that and expect a dollar twenty back and that sort of thing. So it's not just dump. You know, you know, you you need this endless pile of cash. Um, just because e-commerce, as a lot of folks know, is a very cash-intensive business. So the more you can grow profitably, the less, you know, pile of cash you need to as you get larger. Um, so correct.
1: Yes. At the center of how you develop an e-commerce business is to be very disciplined and very governed by a and L. Um, if you build up your P and L accurately, uh, because it is expensive, marketing costs are expensive, fulfillment and shipping costs are very expensive to run. Um, site maintenance is getting cheaper, but everything else is getting more expensive. And, um, it is very, uh, I guess, it is very important to focus on the P and L and optimize that from there, build your strategies from the PL. So
0: really understand the, you know, cogs, the cost of goods sold and advertising costs and like actually understand the cost of a sale and then what's the profit on that, right? Because it's very easy to say, say, Hey, I paid, you know, this per unit and I sold it. But then when you start factoring shipping, okay. And you have to add some taxes in there. Plus this, you know support costs advertise when you start actually adding everything in you realize the true profit margin and if you don't have that like really down then it's hard to understand how much can i reinvest because you don't know you know if you if you don't know your margins you don't know how much you can reinvest on a per order basis and if a new channel is profitable or not profitable because you're not sure your margins, so you're not really even sure can you start dumping money in faster is that kind of the yes
1: that is correct. I think there's been a lot of conversation that the e-commerce business in essence is the wild Wild West. Um, you know, we're trying a lot of different things. We're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall. But the reality is is you have to be even more disciplined in an e-commerce business. Um, it is being driven a little bit more by promotions, which erode your margin. And then on top of that, you've got these expenses from marketing to labor to shipping and fulfillment. And again, you have to build your P&L up from a bottoms up perspective, and then you have to be well governed by that P&L. Every strategy and tactic has to be questioned as to whether it's going to affect the P&L positively, maintain the P&L's profitability, or if it's going to erode, it's going to have to be a matter of making a decision as to whether that is an important enough activity or not to grow business. Most often, uh, I don't see the p l built up from a bottoms up. And that is one of the tactics I use to make sure I'm profitably growing businesses in those triple digit zones on the revenue side. Uh, profit's important because it shows sustainability. It shows intelligent ways of growing revenue. And if you you know, get to a point where you're testing a bunch of promotions and you're spending a lot of money in marketing and you can't tie that back to the PL. that that there is a high chance you'll come out negative in that given month. So connecting those dots is extremely important to being diligent about growing and growing profitably.
0: Well, and the thing is you'll come out negative, but you might not even know for two months or three months or whatever, because a lot of times you're, you know, you're purchasing on net 30, net 60, net net 90, this advertising, that's not getting, you know, the sales are coming in after you purchase the product. So not everything's even happening in a, a 30 day window I found. So sometimes you're not even you don't even know that month if there's a problem. It might take you two, three months to even understand, is there an issue here? Like if you don't have a tight grasp of those numbers Um, and, you know, after 90 days to find out, oh, we've been (laughs) we've been blowing money for the past 90 days. And if you're trying to scale at that point and it takes you 30, 60, 90 days to understand what is profitable, you can't ever grow at any rate because it takes you so long to understand. So that's, uh, that's definitely key.
1: Yeah, you have to kind of take the PL for what it is. You know, it's not gonna draw it's not gonna help you make future decisions um, necessarily. It will be a part of helping make future decisions. But you can pull every one of those numbers pretty quickly. So you can pull your revenue, you can pull your cost of goods sold, and you can pull marketing and shipping and fulfillment costs. And those are really your biggest lines inside of profitability. Everything else is is fairly small if you're managing it in managing an e-commerce PL quite well. And this is not to say that there's not an attribution method to the marketing strategies or that there's not a focus on the consumer, whether it's an acquisition strategy or retention. This is simply one input into how to maintain profitability while you're still growing an e-commerce business and while you're still trying to be consumer focused. And so what I do is you you take what you get in those 30 days and you pull down those expenses without using the finance team. You get your e-commerce team really used to pulling down both the revenues and the expenses and paying attention to the the profitability that's likely to come from that month so that you're not waiting 90 days to make a decision or you're not waiting until the attribution of a given marketing channel comes through um, because it's just too... It's not disciplined enough in, in a business that can run at very thin margins these days to wait those 90 days. It's very important to be at 30 day increments.
0: So that's a good question too. When you say thin margins, what kind of numbers are actually reasonable to expect on margins, profitability, cost of goods sold, advertising, like where, or is it not a range or does it depend? Um,
1: the COGS is going to depend on the industry, so it could range anywhere from, you know, technology is notorious for single digit uh, gross margins, whereas there's other industries that can be upwards of uh, 60 to 80 percent. Um, it also depends on how much you're manufacturing your goods versus how much they're being wholesale to you, and then you're reselling them as a retailer. That's why the wholesalers are. Um, really thinking about direct-to-consumer because they keep the entire gross margin in hand when they do that instead of cutting their margins to sell it to retailers and the retailers sell it in half. But the COGS would be the biggest indicator of um, potential profitability because that's going to swing. Shipping and fulfillment I don't know, can swing anywhere between 8 and 14% uh, usually. It just kind of depends on your average order value. Again, if it's a percentage of revenue, it'll depend on that.
0: 8 and 14% of the total sale of that order? Or...
1: Generally, if your sale is sitting somewhere around $80 to $120, which uh, many businesses I've been inside, it's inside of that range, you're going to deal with uh, anywhere between an 8 and 14% shipping and fulfillment. And, um, the, the other big cost marketing is going to be dependent on how much you need to do from an acquisition perspective versus how much you need to do from a retention perspective. So for example, you know, sports authority, we had millions of customers in the database. So we had pretty sizable opportunities to retain those customers in very cheap channels like email. Uh, in the, on the other side, acquisition, whether it's be via paid search or via paid social, um, those can be generally very expensive channels, and you could be upwards of 30% of your of your uh, revenue in marketing cost. So you really have to look at the picture. And when I do a bottoms up, I usually do start with marketing channel. It's really the best indicator of how that pretty sizable cost the marketing cost is going to turn out in the end. If I could do a bottoms up among all the marketing channels, looking at the history of, of that business.
0: I know people are probably wondering when you said upwards of 80% on certain industries, I have a feeling people are going to be curious, which industry is 80%? Cause that's, gro- that's gro- one of those things. Everyone, yeah. Everyone, every, you know, when you say 1%, <laughs> okay. I know, you know, if you're selling like laptops, that sort of, you know, any sort of electronics, those they're, they're like certain names. Everyone knows the cost. They're kind of like beat down over time, but like where are these 80% margin businesses or where are you seeing them?
1: Um, good question. Actually, I, and that's a little bit of a blend. So I see single digits when you're at a retailer uh, which means that they had to buy it at a wholesale price. And um, now they're reselling it. So there's, and that's probably on a retailer' side. I'm from my experience, you're dealing with anything between the single digits of technology to the forty, fifty, sixty percents in um, something like beauty for per se. Yep. Versus when you're making your own products. So if you are the brand, you're private branding inside of a retailer organization or you are a wholesaler, that's when you're, get, you're getting to the higher percentages across multiple industries really. Um, you cut those in half when you wholesale back out to the retailer to help you grow the volume of revenue that you may have to grow to maintain a size inside of your business. But once the manufacturers, and this is really my core clientele right now, once they are making the decision to go direct to consumer, which they don't have a natural mental model to do, but they are seeing the benefit of it, and they are particularly seeing the benefit of it inside of their gross margins, because they now don't have to cut the price to the retailer, they're selling direct to the consumer, and that grows their margins, usually by close to double.
0: The flip side to that, though, so let's say once you you're going direct to consumer, you have higher gross margins, right, then those are probably the brands where you have a higher acquisition cost now because you don't have this like built in retail channel. You don't have you know a sports authority with how many email addresses you have to actually go and buy the social ads and create the demand at that point. So, you know, you you need 68 percent gross margin so that you can dump in 30, even 40 percent into advertising. So it starts to, they, they start to actually come close by the sound of it. Right. Once you actually got everything in.
1: That's true. But that's why you do the long view. So in the short view, and and again, most of my clients are in the brand world where they're trying to figure out how to go direct to consumer. They're very used to the wholesale market. Um, So they're now exploring direct to consumer and I'm heading up their direct to consumer e-commerce opportunity. And the first thing we do start out with is a little bit of realization by looking at the P&L. Here's the way this is going to look in one year, two year, three years and five years. And so you will see the marketing uh, progressively decline because they are spending a lot on the front end to acquire that business. And as they get between the three and five year mark, the marketing cost as a percent of the revenue goes down and they can start and everything goes down. Their labor percentages go down. Um, And they can start to see the benefits of why they're running a direct-to-consumer business Solely from a financial perspective. There's obviously other benefits by going to -to direct-to-consumer e-commerce But from a financial perspective, it really can help a CFO out or a CEO out in seeing the value of going into a new business model If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so in those early years, I guess first actually two questions here Um, first would be Is there a specific profit margin at once you factor everything that you're going for and you're saying we have to make at least X percent or just this isn't worth doing. And then the second part of that is that over time, let's say this is a five year plan, a four year plan, five year plan. Day one, is that margin the same as day four or are you saying, you know, we're going to start at a X percent and grow that margin over time and that will increase?
1: Well, there's two margins to look at. There's gross margin, which is basically your revenue minus your product cost. And then there's profit margin, which is minus the product cost, minus all the other expenses. Yeah.
0: That's not profit margin. Right. So at the end of the day, how profit much you're actually, yeah, how much you're actually putting in your pocket per order. If you sell, you know, hundred dollar sale, how much
1: of that actually gets returned? That's a good question. It's going to be quite variable. In my experience, you're somewhere between four and 8% in the first five years now to now a little bit of it goes back to that cost of goods sold it goes back to the fact that we're living in a very transparent um, kind of economy right now so you are dealing with the fact that you're in a hyper competitive economy online and you can't just price things the way you want to price them without having some perspective of the way that the competition is pricing, what would be called similar things to the consumer. So if they were making a decision to buy your thing versus someone else's, you gotta have a little bit of perspective of where that price point is, where the consumer is most comfortable. Um, and that's really going to determine your gross margin. And then everything from there is, is besides the marketing cost, is fairly easy to figure out um, because I've got tons of experience in the, uh, driving P and and those other areas like shipping and fulfillment and credit card fees and site, they're pretty much the same across the board. These, these are the expenses that aren't different by industry necessarily.
0: Yeah. Those are expenses you need to know, like you need to factor them in, but you're not going to figure out a great way to save like that credit card fee. It's always nope. like, you know, it is what it is, yeah, what it is right? It you is need, what
1: it is. Yeah. You need
0: to have the line there. So you need to know what it is. But you're not going to be able to improve it. It's just, it's always, it's always just going to be there.
1: Now, the interesting thing I do see about shipping and fulfillment is, um, as you grow, there is negotiation on the table a for
0: lot. So both talk, of those. Let's talk about that because a lot of people don't know that actually. Which I found, yeah. top, You know, once you actually, once you start doing any sort of volume, you can call and you can get negotiated rates, and these rates are, they're not public and they're not, and they're they're just yours and that you can't talk about them, but there are rates. So
1: that's right. You, um, and, and honestly, you're better off calling every single year as you grow and asking for it. I think it's just a matter of the fact that people don't, um, know that they can ask and work out a negotiation, show people what your future plans are. Um, both from a fulfillment perspective. So if you're uh, a direct-to-consumer wholesale brand, or if you're a retailer, more often than not, not these big box retailers, but more often than not, the uh, the middle group is using a 3PL. So they're using a third-party logistics provider who's fulfilling um, and fulfilling multiple uh, types of products. And what they will do is you want to, by the way, if you're new, you wanna set maybe twelve month contracts because you want it to come up that you have you wanna renegotiate.
0: With the PL. You want a twelve month with P
1: with the PL. And you and then you're gonna actively um, and sometimes by the way, some many companies use their shipping account because the three PL is getting a good deal potentially from UPS or FedEx because the amount of business that they're actually doing in the aggregate. So you so, want to be careful Let's unpack oh, that because
0: that's actually that's important yeah. what you said. Right. So yes. So you go to UPS and FedEx and you say, here's how much I've done over the past, you know, month, three months, six months, let's negotiate over a rate. They give you a number on, you know, ground it's this much, whatever Fed, air it's this much, and you have your negotiator rates. Then you go to your three PL. They they have done the same thing, but based on their entire business, which is obviously much larger. They have their negotiator rates, which you don't know their rates. But they then add a fee onto that rate that you don't know. Yeah, so there's a hidden thing on you don't know how much is their fee and how much they actually get. But you need to base that against your actual rates that you you know your rates and you know what they'll charge you. And you need to figure out what's Right.
1: Or yeah, or have conversations in the industry. This is the value and the power of networking. And like after 20 years, I've got a lot of friends in the industry. So this is the power of networking is just ask, just start asking around the size of the business. You can probably guess from the 3PL. You can also and should ask them how often they're negotiating with whoever their preferred carrier is. It is your right to know how often they negotiate, what type of negotiations they're going through. Um, you want to make sure they're negotiating every 12 months, especially if they're growing. If, if they're acquiring your business and they're acquiring other businesses and they're showing a sense of growth, they should be going to those carriers. And then, yes, you could go to the carrier, too. It really depends on how sizable you are. If you're under about 10 million, it, it's going to be a little bit difficult um, unless you had like a average order, and you're just pushing out packages. Um, It's gonna be very difficult to negotiate anything if you're at small scale. And that's why you do use the advantage of 3PL. And and the shipping essentially is one of their products. It's kind of like wholesaling your product to a retailer. They're wholesaling, so they're gonna add 10 or 15%. And by the way, before you sign with a 3PL, that is something you should negotiate. You should negotiate everything. You negotiate your fulfillment cost. You negotiate your receiving cost, and you negotiate your ship cost. If it's better for you to use um, a, their their carrier cost because you know that they're probably cheaper because they have much higher volume. So those are those are things that I think a lot of reasons why clients do have me come in because I already know these things. I've lived them over and over and over again. Um, I've moved Blue Mercury to a new platform and redesigned, so I negotiated costs on the front end of the business. And then the second year, I moved Blue Mercury to a new 3PL and negotiated those pieces of the business. Um, it takes being strong, by the way, but but when you have 20 years of experience, it gets a little bit easier to to go it forward in front of those individuals and start negotiating for your client.
0: Yeah, I like the one-year thing, too, because it's a nice point where, There's a lot of that, you know, moving product to a 3PL. There's a lot of heavy lifting up front, but after it's there and you're moving the product, it's just it's there and it's happening. And the 3PLs, that's what they do. So it's not you're not adding like additional work to them. So it's a good point to negotiate and actually say, okay, now it's easy. Let's talk about some better rates now that we've done all the heavy lifting up front.
1: That's right. They have you have to remember they have a core competency in fulfilling and receiving. So it doesn't take them very long. It maybe takes them three weeks to get up and going with any given new client, right? It's it's very fast for them because that's where their core competency lies. They get a lot of scale because they've built up uh, some of these guys. If if you can tell, they've built up their technology. So that gives them a lot of cost efficiencies and those should translate down into your contract. Mm And that's just, again, those are things that I look for and know how to look for and then can educate my clients and help them look for those same things so that they can create as thin of expenses as possible in those lines where they may be dealing with those exact same expenses for at least a year, if not longer.
0: So one more question on 3PLs actually, because we have a lot of retailers here um, that we work with that their manufacturers will directly drop ship the product. Um, and we have also others that work with 3PLs. Mm-hmm. What would you factor in that decision-making process on saying, should we have the manufacturer drop ship or purchase it all up front and move it to a 3PL and then fulfill from now?
1: That's a great question, actually. Um, gosh. Well, first of all, there's going to be a financial perspective to that. But the second thing is there's going to be a business perspective to that. Now, you control a lot more as a retailer if you're willing to ship it yourself. Either you have the manufacturers ship it directly to your warehouse or your 3PL. And in most cases, I would recommend that. Because here's the, here's the reason. And I see that e-commerce um, folks don't always think about this. Because when I walk into an organization, this is a big education point. The order and the experience for the consumer does not end at the order confirmation page. It never ends, actually, but it still continues for the consumer right up until they get that package. And you want to make sure that package is packed right. It's beautiful. You may want to put inserts in there because, again, this is a big opportunity to retain a consumer, to get them to come back and make another purchase. This is another opportunity to give them value. This is another opportunity to possibly get some feedback from them. Whatever it is, it is definite opportunity. And there's nothing more exciting throughout the entire experience for a consumer than the day that they get that package. So make it even more exciting by offering value. You can control that excitement and you can control what you do with that step in the process if you're the one that's shipping the products. The other thing I would say is if you go into a drop ship, be careful you're not doing split shipments because that can grow your shipping costs dramatically. So if you're a retailer and you're having too many of your manufacturers drop ship, you're more than likely splitting that shipping cost and growing it and growing it and growing it. So that's a financial, that's one of the financial aspects and that of t- considering.
0: And that has it back to it, knowing those numbers, right? On looking at that order that came from five different locations, five different manufacturers and understanding there's a shipping light item on each one of these. And like, how does that actually factor into the profitability? And maybe this order was five times the, uh, you know, our average order size, but it might be less profitable maybe not even profitable at that point. If you need to ship it from all these disparate locations um, and really kind of having an yes. understanding of that.
1: Yes. And most retailers these days are broadening their assortment. Um, And as they brought in their assortment, they're dealing with more brands. You know, their other goal is to try to get the market basket to increase, try to get more items in the order. And so if you're going to get more items in the order and then you're going to turn around and and have a bunch of different brands drop ship, um, you're not doing yourself any good. It's probably not going to turn out uh, profitable for you. So your best opportunity is to do a business case of what does it look like when I drop ship financially versus what does it look like if I contained all these products in one, three yeah,
0: PM or
1: a, a couple.
0: That's a good one. I was just talking to uh, Jordan from Harcourt a couple episodes ago and he was mentioning they do cross sells, they do upsells, they, that whole thing. And, you know, obviously folks want that because it increases the checkout size, but then knowing those numbers on the back end of actually saying, okay, how does that affect our profitability? You know, if we're so, sell- if you're selling the, um, the camera, And, you know, upsell the memory card, the, um, cables and that sort of thing. But if those come from three three different locations, now you have three different shipping costs. You need to really understand, you know, how did that affect our profitability?
1: Yeah. And that's where it gets back to being very important that you tie your strategies to your financials. So if you've got a big strategy out there and more likely than not, most retailers have this strategy to grow the basket. You know They want to encourage customers to not just buy this, but in order to complete their experience, they need to buy these two other things. They're always encouraging the consumer to buy more stuff. If that is a big part of your strategy, go back and look at how you're fulfilling to that strategy and keeping your costs contained on fulfillment and shipping with that strategy in mind. So connect those dots because it will really help you make better decisions if those dots between the strategy, your top strategies and your P and L are connected.
0: Gotcha. So back to when we were talking about the actual profit margin, do you kind of start with a gross profit? Do you start, I guess, which direction do you go? Um, Do you start with the gross profit margin cogs, that sort of thing, and then say, okay, now we know that we're trying to get somewhere between 4 and 8%. So we have this much room in between to work with advertising, fulfillment, um everything everything else and kind of now we know here's here's the gross here's the net we're trying to figure out what advertising channels can we even are even affordable because maybe at that point there's not that there's not much and you can only do something like email or maybe you know you're talking about the folks that have 80 percent margins and they say great we can run tons of social ads um and we have to to be competitive so is that kind of like where do you start in that process
1: yeah it, I kind of go back and forth, kind of like what you were talking about with going here and, here and then here and then here and then here. So I, I start way out, uh, with guardrails of basically what do we, you know, if it's a wholesale brand, they've got retailers selling the product at a certain price point today. So they have a general idea of the price point that they're going to be able to sell it at if they went direct to consumer. And we, there is some strategy in this. So there is define your vision and strategy, and that can be somewhat of a guidance and guardrail to your p and Putting that aside so that it's a little bit more black and white, um, you, you get an idea of what does it look like from a gross margin perspective, just like you said. So is my gross margin gonna sit at 70% or is it gonna sit at 20%? And I've worked with industries all over the place. And then realistically, I mean, the P&L has to be real. If it's not real, it's not worth doing. So this is an investment. And if you're just getting started, um, it may turn out negative in that first year. It's an investment to the business, but I do believe in being very real inside of your P&L. So for example, I've got a client right now, has no e-commerce, multi-hundred million dollar um, set of brands. They've got like seven portfolios. And uh, we have done a lot of PNL work in the last six months. We've built up a vision, a strategy, and a PNL plan for one, three, and five. And in the first year, it's negative because my belief is, is I have to show them what it really takes to invest in an e-commerce business. Not okay, we need to be at eight percent profit margin, and we'll just back it out from there um, because that's probably not realistic. To your point earlier. If I don't have an email database, which for, for these guys that's exactly true, they don't really have a database of existing consumers. The retailers have that database, and they're not going to give it away anytime soon. So uh, they're going to spend a pretty sizable dollar uh, in some of those acquisition channels, like paid search and paid social, and uh, they that means that between their prof their gross profit and between the marketing and then we figure out all the other expenses, they end up negative. But what they do see in five years is a positive because we've transitioned from an acquisition business to more of a blend of an acquisition and retention business. And that brings marketing down. It helps us optimize our shipping and fulfillment rates because we have more to, to, I guess, negotiate. So again, it's I'm more of a believer of build it, to the way that makes the most sense is really going to turn out because it's really going to turn out the way it's really going to turn out. So you can put numbers down on paper, but if they're not real, it's not, you know, it's not even worth talking about in my mind.
0: I like the idea when you just said the acquisition business versus retention business. Um, I feel like that's just like not very well known, like cheat code in e-commerce that on day one, you're going to have to, you're acquiring everyone. You You have to pay for traffic. Um, You know, maybe you can do SEO, but you're still paying for that. It's not it's not free. It's not magic. There's some investment day one. So day one, it's going to be all acquisition. But if you're doing things like capturing email addresses, even retargeting pixels, um, retargeting folks that maybe dropped off the shopping cart, that sort of thing. Now you're talking more retention and now the costs drop way down. And that's one of those things that over time you become more profitable and not Not everyone kind of has that full vision going into it and understanding like we can actually, we don't need 8% day one, like you said, we can come in at maybe zero, maybe one, just enough to sustain and we will grow that customer list. We'll grow that base and then we'll become a retention business.
1: Right, right. And it kind of depends, you know, where they can get their investment dollars, right? Some of the businesses I have, they have private equity firms that are pushing for direct to consumer e-commerce and they have other usually their biggest channel is either wholesale if they're a manufacturer or they if you're a retailer your biggest channel is brick and mortar right so you can fund an e-commerce business from other means uh and in order to get started often you you have to do that you have to find a way to fund the business um so the 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 I'm sorry. What were you, what were we focused on? <laughs> I <laughs> yes. almost lost my track there. No,
0: going from that retention to the actual. Yes. Like, yes, retention. That, that whole thing,
1: yes. 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 So in reality, if, uh, and a wholesale business, what I almost always find again is you don't own the consumer uh, manufacturers are truly realizing the lack of not owning that consumer. They can't bring consumer insights into the table, but they also know that they're going to start a direct to consumer e-commerce business with really no retention. Um, so no opportunity to take consumers from another source and help to retain. So they can't run very, very cheap channels like email. However, Um, There are strategies like, for example, the business I just talked about where uh, they have a very sizable wholesale business, you know, most direct to consumer manufacturers do have some sort of website, it may not be transactional, uh, but they do have a site. And so while we're in the process of building a commerce site, they can do things to acquire some emails. It'll still be pretty small. So the, the sizable 80% of how they earn revenue in the, at least the first 12 months, if not the first 24 months is from an acquisition basis, which is expensive. But if you see it for the long run, it becomes an opportunity to have a retention business, which definitely reduces the cost. Now, if you're in a retailer where they've built um, brand equity up, they've built their brick and mortar businesses up, they've got a database of consumer, you have a different conversation. You've got a database of opportunity where you can start leveraging that opportunity and hoping that the marketing costs can be contained into a a reasonable um, percent of revenue and give you some of that profit margin back. So it kind of just depends on where these um, businesses lie at the time that they're deciding to build up their e-commerce business.
0: And that makes it, that makes the argument to know those numbers even more important, right? Cause if you're mm-hmm. running day one at these like razor thin between zero and 2%, uh, <laughs> you know, being off by even one or 2% is you're losing money at that point. And your ability to scale and grow becomes 10 X harder because that you know, even at 2%, let's say, Day one, you still need new investment because every dollar you put in next month you need two and then you need four. And it's gonna keep you're gonna have to add more dollars in. So even if you're growing, but knowing those numbers, because you could be slipping, and then at that point it's so much harder to grow. It takes so much more investment and you're now you're, you know, pushing the, the big uh the big stone up the hill and the stone's even bigger and heavier and the hill's taller and understanding that angle you're gonna have to move at is critical, especially at that beginning where you only have single digit percentage points to play with.
1: Yeah. And that's why, again, it needs to sit at the center of your focus. You ideally need to be running those uh, costs. I mean, you've got contracts on shipping and fulfillment. So, you know, the exact cost you're dealing with, you have, you know, exactly what credit card fees are, right? They're two and a half or 3%. They're one of the two. Um, and you know, exactly what your labor is, you know, exactly what your marketing costs are. Cause you can pull those from any database. You go into Google, you pull your paid search costs, you go into Facebook, you pull your paid social costs. So you really have visibility and access to all of this stuff. You really have to, at the very beginning, be pulling this data down on a weekly basis. You need to be looking at it. I've got a client who grow his growing dramatically almost to the point where they're not necessarily managing their growth all that well. And that's why they hired me. So it's a pretty new client. Um, They're growing so well because they have an amazing product and they have an amazing story behind the product. But what they're not doing well is managing their expenses. And we all know that can get you into trouble pretty quickly. The other thing they're not doing well is they've been around for four years and they really haven't flipped their mental model from an acquisition business to focusing on retention. So 90% of where they focus is on the acquisition channels. Now every channel has a, a opportunity for retention, but in general they're focusing on acquisition channels And they haven't focused, like, for example, in email, they haven't focused on how to retain business, how to communicate with existing customers. They haven't focused on personalization strategies that help consumers feel like they're valued and they're understood because they have relevant experiences on their site. And so now they've got negative profit margins versus before they were dealing with positives because of the way that they were so small. And they could handle sort of that acquisition channel. channel. Now they're growing and their spend in these, in these uh, acquisition channels is so huge. It's eating about 40% of their revenue up. Um, so we have to kind of turn this around. A balance is really important. And it's sooner than later, even if you have a very small e- email list, you want to get started sooner than later on retention strategies. So that you don't lose sight of profitability because you're just constantly focused on acquisition, which is a very expensive strategy all by itself.
0: Yeah. And to that point, if you're four or five years in and you haven't, you know, emailed anyone once, you haven't even like you haven't even like flexed that muscle. First, the first time you send um, a customer an email that maybe purchased with you four years ago and they hear from you again, they're not gonna remember who you are. And they might delete it, unscribe. Like there's gonna be this like big drop off because you've ignored them now for years. So just that initial blast. It's not just something you can just say we've been collecting emails for four years. We'll we'll get to it. You have to like you have to be nurturing that. And then the second thing is when you do hit them up that first time, you're probably not very good at it. And that's the other thing of like how do you actually promote these like these folks like what works what doesn't what you know all these different strategies. You're probably good at the acquisition, but that retention isn't a a muscle that maybe they flexed. So that's something you need to actually build up over time. It's not something that you'll say, Hey, we'll get to this. We'll set an email blast five years from now. We'll hit up all these people and we'll just flip the switch. It needs to be gradual. It needs to be something you develop over time and build.
1: That's exactly right. And really, I mean, there's so many things we're interacting with as being consumers ourselves. There's so much content out there about what works and what doesn't work. Start with the basics. You know, if you're working on a retention strategy and you're an online business, don't wait for that email list to build up. Um, take care of those consumers that are buying from you initially, take care of them right away. Do the literally the basics the welcome emails, the thank you emails, the come back and purchase from us again emails, the hey, did you think about these other things that might make your purchase feel more complete? Emails. You know, there's just enough of the basics out there. There And again, um, I've got clients who worry that with my amount of experience, are they going to be a little bit embarrassed because they don't know what to do? And I tell them, listen, I've been in I've been in that experience my whole life, my whole career. I walk into retailers. They're like, we we know e-commerce is important, but we have no idea. And it's like, let me help you get started. Um, because it is a scary thing and that brings on an educational element that I do quite a bit with clients. Um, but the, the, the aspect of what you're doing is still basic marketing. It really is. It's like, oh, well, the customer walked in the store and bought this. What can I do to talk to them again? I'll send them a catalog. I'll send them a direct mail, right? It's just now it's applied in digital form. So the strategies are quite similar. They're just applied in a different way or a different format. And that usually helps them get a little bit like less nerve wracked about, oh God, what does it mean to go into e-commerce? And I know some of us who've been in e-commerce for 20 years are like, really, people are still, you know, nervous about going into it. Yes, there's several industries and that's, it's perfectly okay. You know, I've got a client right now who's um, tens of millions in wholesale, And the the whole reason they were nervous, they wanted to hire me, but the whole reason they were nervous about hiring me is because they were worried that they wouldn't have the staff on the inside to help take care of the direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. And I said, that's going to be one of the things we talk about. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out along the way. So to your point, it's just a matter of like starting with the one-pound weight and then the five-pound weight and then the 10-pound weight, right? You know, it's perfectly okay to be in a spot where you just don't know e-commerce right now because you can get started on any level.
0: Awesome. I think it's great advice and probably a good place yeah. actually there that, 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 um, I think very helpful with getting really kind of tactical. And I love to talk to people that have very specific, like, you know, numbers and tactics and like, here's what you need to do next. And that's super helpful, I think. And, um, yeah, thank you for that. So if folks want to kind of find you, if they want to learn more, um, one more about your consulting practice, what is a good place to do that?
1: Yeah, multiple ways. You can uh, contact me at jennifer at It's D I M O T T A Consulting. You can also go to LinkedIn. Um, I'm on slash Jennifer Demata. And you can also reach me on my website, www.damata, D I M O T T A Consulting.com.
0: Awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes too so people can find you. So, Great. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.